Since our fall, we have lost every ability in ourselves to obey the law of God. But not all people are seeing that reality. As a matter of fact, none of us see this reality until grace awakens. Only then we learn to see that we are all included in Paul's statement. There is none righteous. No, not one. In this module, we hope to consider how God brings sinners to this awareness of ourselves and the need for the Lord Jesus Christ and His salvation. As we do, we discover that His law plays an indispensable role in that learning journey. Welcome to our fifth lecture about the law of God. Uh, today's lecture is entitled, The Law and the Sinner. And our scripture verse that we'll take as our goal to expound and to think about is from Romans chapter 3 verse 20, where it says that for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Now, though we have studied in our previous lectures that the law is good and holy and just because it reflects our lawgiver, yet it is common knowledge to most of us that the law causes unease. It causes distress in us, even resistance, pushback. Why is that? That has to do, of course, with the condition that we're in today as sinners. Since the fall in paradise, our relationship to the law has changed. There's now no friendship relationship anymore between us and the law because we broke the law. So we're in a conflict with God and with God's reflection as he's given us in his holy law. And yes, the law can do only one thing to us sinners at this point. It can only accuse us and prosecute us and demand condemnation. And that is intuitively felt by all of us as we think about the law of God. So yes, in consequence of our condition, we now have a hatred against God and his holy law. That's very pointedly spoken of in Romans chapter 8. We will consider that verse and Paul speaks about that we are at enmity with God and we cannot be subject to the law of God in the condition that we are uh, today. Let's be clear that this is no reflection on the law of God itself. There's no fault in the law. The Apostle Paul shares with us in Romans 7 his conflict with the law of God when the Lord indeed converted him. Before his conversion, he resisted God's law, but upon his conversion, he even resisted it more when he felt the resistance of his heart driving up against God's law when it came to him, particularly in the 10th commandment, thou shalt not covet. But in the end, the Apostle Paul reassures his readers, there's nothing wrong with the law. The law is good, holy and just. It's our sinfulness problem that reacts upon the holiness 
and the justice of God's law. So, the question then is, how can this condition change? How can we come to love the law of God as David expressed in his uh, devotional book, the Psalms? The short answer is, that's now God's work of salvation. He is the one and the only one that can change our condition. In this lecture, I'd like to explore with you how God now uses his own law uh, to save a sinner. Let's, let's define what I mean with a sinner. A sinner is an unregenerate, unrepentant, unbelieving, spiritually dead person. Defined in the scriptures, for example, Ephesians 2, the first three verses, when Paul describes us, the, the Ephesians, as being dead in trespasses and sin. So I propose to consider the use of the law that God uses in our salvation. And first let's consider for a moment what the law is not in our salvation. And then secondly, let's look at how God uses the law uh, to bring us to the knowledge of salvation. So the purpose of the law in the life of a sinner is not to give us instruction in how to be saved from our sin and guilt. Before Adam and Eve broke their covenant with God, law-keeping or work obedience was the way to life. God promised them the eternal life, the quality of life and deepening relationship with him upon obedience. That was the original intent of the law, the way to life. Do this and you shall live. Live in that ever-deepening relationship with God, which in the New Testament is mostly always called eternal life. But we are no more in this spiritual condition of paradise. And you see, here's where the Jewish Pharisees went wrong. And in essence, here goes all religion wrong that is not pure Christianity. The Pharisees saw law obedience as the way to life. They saw actually no difference in the context of the law in paradise and the law at Sinai. But the context is radically changed. Even though the law is the same, though the original law of paradise and the exposition of that original law at Mount Sinai are the same, the context in which God gives that law is not the same. Recall, paradise was the context of the covenant of works. The law directed his original parents, walk, do, and you shall live. What's the context of Mount Sinai? That's no more the covenant of works. That's the context of the covenant of grace. As we will look specifically at the Ten Commandments, you notice the first opening statement, commonly called the preamble, speaks about deliverance, speaks about grace. I am the Lord thy God, which has brought thee out of Egypt, 
out of the land of house of bondage. You notice what God reminded them of. I am the Lord thy God. Relationship. Grace relationship. And this is important to grasp. For here the Pharisees struggled to understand even the ministry of Jesus. Paul regretfully needs to share how he looked at the Roman, his, his brothers as it were, in, his, in the flesh. And he describes in Romans 10 the fatal mistake that the Jews cling to with regard to salvation. Here it is. He says in Romans 10 verse 2 and 3, For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God. They're zealous and sincerely zealous, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness or God's law obedience and going about to establish their own righteousness in their own law obedience have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God which is the righteousness which he has given in his son Jesus Christ doing and dying. So essential for us to understand that the law in relationship to us sinners is not given as the way to life. Then what is the purpose of the law in relationship to us as a sinner? First, it is God's diagnostic tool to convict us of our sin, to confront us with the hopelessness and the helplessness of our condition. Remember Romans 3.20 stated, For by the law is the knowledge of sin. In Romans 7 verse 7, the apostle expounds this somewhat further when he says, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid! No way! Nay, I had not known sin but by the law. For I had not known lust, except that the law said, Thou shalt not covet. You notice how he there shares that his knowledge of his own sinfulness came by the diagnostic tool that God used in the law. By the law is the knowledge of sin. That means that God uses his law to bring home the diagnosis of what we are now. In his holy sight. God uses his law as a mirror. To set before us. How far we are of the mark. How unsightly we are. Even though we may cover ourselves with fig leaves of religious things. And good deeds. We are still naked as it were in his sight. Shameful. Sinful. Now the law is used uh, to teach us that. Yeah, we're, we're blind for this condition. As outlined again in Ephesians chapter 2 and 3, we're blind about the condition we're in. We don't feel the sin as sin. We don't realize how bad sin is until God comes in with his law to make us feel the sense what it is to be a sinner. And no matter how much gospel we hear, friends, we simply are not interested in the message until 
we feel the hurt, until we feel the spiritual cancer, until we have the knowledge of sin. Let me give an example. We've had a great surgeon in our town where I live for many years already. Each week he treats many people. He replaces knees, five or six of them each week, and he's done this for 15 years. I might have heard of him sometime, but I didn't pay any attention to him. I didn't think about him. I didn't need him. Until my knee began to hurt so bad, I couldn't sleep or sit. So painful. Then I went to look for the surgeon. Not before that. And I remember coming to him and telling him, I don't need a big surgery. I know what I need. I need again a little repair. He says, friend, let's go make an x-ray. Let's see what is the problem. I saw the problem. I felt the problem. And I submitted to the knee replacement surgery in my own body. Now, that illustration is on a use. This is how God uses the law. Now, this is the case with all of us. Not until we feel the pain of sin, not until we have a sense of the burden of sin, or whether we see and taste the bitterness of the evil of sin, and we get a realization of the banishment that we have caused by our sins from God when he ousted us out of paradise, that means out of his communion. Not until we feel those things will we become serious about the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And so to get us serious, God uses the law to bring conviction, to make us feel the need for a savior bigger than ourselves. He uses the laws and hammer to humble us and to crush that pride and that resistance that lives within us that Paul described in Romans 7. Now I agree that such an awakening is a rude reality to realize. If all of a sudden I get the message I have an incurable cancer my house, my life falls apart like, like, uh, like a cart house. Well, and so it is spiritually. When God uses his law to bring home to us the condition we are in, yes, we feel a fright. It makes us feel vulnerable, ashamed. But how necessary this is to open up our hearts for the Lord and his salvation. That's not typically our first reaction. Our first reaction is, let's go change. Let's improve. Let's make, do something. Well, that's a hopeless action. For no matter what we do, everything we do falls under God's standard of perfection. Yeah, even our best works, the prophet writes in Isaiah 64, are like filthy rags. So it falls outside the scope of this lecture for me to explore our spiritual condition in deeper detail. I urge you to ponder your own diagnosis as outlined in the scriptures. Yeah, take Romans 3, verse 10 to 18. Or look at Mark 7, verse 20 to 23. 
to study the diagnosis that God gives of us humans in his word. And why is that necessary? That every mouth may be stopped from excusing, from minimizing, from denying, from objecting before God's law. That we all may become guilty before God. That's how Paul put it in Romans 3. That makes us willing to also begin to listen to the message of the gospel. And that is then the second great use in which God uses the law. He uses the law to guide us sinners to Jesus Christ. Let's go to Galatians chapter 3 verse 24 where Paul stated this use of the law in these words. He says, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Jesus Christ that we might be justified by faith. That last part is the gospel. Justified by faith. By faith in the Lord Jesus. How did we get there? He says, God used the law as a schoolmaster. Now let's understand what the word schoolmaster means. In the Greek, a schoolmaster, in the Greek culture, a schoolmaster was someone who collected the children and brought them to school to be taught by a teacher. In our culture, we might call the schoolmaster the bus driver. That's all he was. He wasn't a teacher. He was the means, the person who guided the children to the school to be taught. Each day he would do the same thing. Each day he would go around, gather the children, bring them to school. Now Paul uses that cultural schoolmaster idea to compare how God uses the law to bring us to the Lord Jesus Christ. The law doesn't save us. The law has no ability to save us. It can only accuse the sinner. But God uses it in his ministry of the Spirit to bring us to the Savior. And so this relationship between the law and the gospel is extremely important for us to grasp well and never to mix them up or eliminate either one of them. Let me therefore draw this together for a moment yet, how law and gospel work together in God's saving ministry. Think of the law as God's court servant to bring us to the throne of grace. That's where he wants us to come. That's why he sent out the law as a convicting court servant, arresting us, alarming us, in order to lead us to Christ. And the law says do, and when we begin to realize that we can't do, and that we did do the wrong things and stand guilty. And God uses that demand that we can't meet to bring us into the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel of Jesus Christ says, done. So he uses the do to bring us to the done of Christ's work. Or another example, God uses the law uh, as the needle in the doctor's hand. He has this, this uh, needle and this injection with medicine. And he wants to get that medicine under our skin. 
And what did he do? He pokes that needle in the skin. That hurts. It doesn't heal. No, the law doesn't heal. The law pricks. But it is the way that needle to get in that skin for him to administer the medicine into the body. And so God uses the law again in his ministry to bring us to the gospel. So we learned earlier that the schoolmaster does his work every day. Not once. Every day. That's also true spiritual life. Though the law initially alarms us to seek the Lord Jesus Christ, so the law continues to be a source of conviction even in the life of God's saints. Especially, the more and more we look at the person of Jesus Christ as we saw in a previous lecture, and see in him the fulfillment of the law in the way he lived, in the way he acted, the way he reached out, in the way he denied himself, loved his father, loved others. Friends, the more we look at that picture of the law, also in the life of grace, the more conviction will be experienced and the more need for Christ will be experienced as well. So God's saints, though fully justified by faith, aren't fully sanctified until they are glorified. The Apostle Paul confesses that in Romans 7 verse 14. He makes a startling statement. I am carnal, sold under sin. Being regenerate, he still says, I find a law working in me against the law uh, to love the Lord. I find this war inside of me. And why is that? Well, listen to what Paul writes in Romans 8, 7. He says, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. The carnal mind, enmity, which cannot be subject to the law of God. See, when God saves a person, he doesn't convert the carnal old man. He will starve him and subdue him. And finally, on the day of our disease, he will redeem us from the body of death that we carry along. And so the law continues to be a source of conviction also in the life of God's saint. Or we could say he continues to be a schoolmaster to bring us uh, to the Lord Jesus. So when we now conclude together, I encourage you to have some personal reflections about your spiritual journey and your relationship to the law of God as a sinner. For the Pharisees of Jesus' days are not extinct in our day. It's easy for us to fall back in their error, which is officially called legalism, or works-based salvation. Examine that in yourself, how easily it is for us to think that way. This thinking is familiar to us. Let's be honest, we operate on that level every day 
in our daily natural life. You know, you work hard to get ahead. Be good and you get a promotion. Please the boss and you may get a pay raise. That's how we operate. We think works-based, merit-based, obedience brings blessing. And this thinking feels very natural to us because that's once also how we related to our Creator. When we were in paradise, we always were acting on that basis to merit closer communion with the Lord. We, f we knew that that time obedience was the way to life, but that's no more the way today. Today, it is Jesus that is the way to life. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me, the Lord Jesus speaks. That means by him who in his doing and in his dying became for us the way to life again. And because grace thinking is so unnatural for us, Paul calls therefore the gospel in Jesus Christ the hidden wisdom of God. If you take a moment to read to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, you'll see that developed beautifully by the apostle there. And he comes to this statement, which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and neither has come up in the heart of man. Now, often we relate that verse to heaven. But in the context, it's related to the wisdom of God. As it's revealed in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Never could we think out the way of grace. It is not in us. It needs to come from without us. So the question, friends, that we all need to face is the question on the verse we started with. Has God used the law to bring us to the knowledge of sin, which then also may be used as a schoolmaster to bring us to the Lord Jesus Christ? And so let me conclude with asking you a few questions to consider in your own personal reflection. Do you love God with all the intensity of your heart? like Jesus did, all the time, never compromising, devoting yourself from morning to evening to do all things only to his glory, even when it would cost you dearly, even when it would inconvenience you, even when it might bring the scorn of the world, even if it asks us the ultimate price. By the law, this mirror, in which all of this we could see in Jesus Christ perfectly is the knowledge of sin. Let's ask about the second part of the law. Do you love your neighbor as you love yourself? Are we spending as much 
on comforting our neighbor as we spend on comforting ourselves. High standard, isn't it? Are we ready to sacrifice anything dear in order to love others as we love ourselves? And not only our friends and family, but let's ask about the enemy, those that hate us, those that curse us. Do we love our enemies as Jesus loved? Lifted up on the cross in all the agony, prayed for his enemies. Father, forgive them. Now this is love and this is the law. And as we look in that picture, what does that do to you? Do we feed our enemy when he or she is hungry? That's what God the Father does. Each day as he shines his light and he brings his rain on the just and the unjust. Now why do I ask these questions? Do you sense how short we come of the glory of God in our life? That's the purpose. And why? Because, friends, this only will make us see the beauty, the necessity of the Lord Jesus Christ for us personally. For listen to this, to top it all off, the Apostle writes in Galatians 3.10, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the, law of the book of the law to do them. That's sharp. That's a terrible diagnosis as well as a, a terrible sentence, cursed. Because we do not keep all the things written in the book of the law. No, not comfortable to face this dark reality of God's spiritual x-ray, but necessary so that we may learn with the Apostle Paul as he confessed in Philippians 3.9, counting all things loss that he first counted gain and then he expresses himself oh to be found in him jesus not having my own righteousness which is of the law which he didn't have he saw now but that which is through the faith of christ the righteousness which is of god by faith so our next lecture will be to explore the law again, but now in relationship to the saint, those who have been given grace, and how does the law function in their life? May the Lord then bless these lessons and uh, multiply the fruit of it as we ponder this together. Thank you. We hope your understanding and appreciation for God's law has been deepened by what we have considered in this lecture. Join Pastor Arnold Vergoons next time as we further explore God's glory as revealed in His law. The next subject will be the law and the saint.